Episode 143 of the Bevan James R Show. Does your world become you? Radio team, welcome along to episode 143 of the Bevan James I'll Show, your fortnightly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of fitness, so you can get all the benefits that come alongside it. Um, welcome along, it's uh, it's heading into summer in New Zealand, and uh, it's a great time of year. I almost think spring, I love summer, don't get me wrong, but I love spring because the days get longer. You do, you, you, I know, but I was out run coaching this morning, it was a beautiful morning, I'm just, I'm in a happy place, I can't deny it. Today, I have, there's kind of, kind of two parts, not really, but there is a little bit of a, a little bit of an intro before we get into the main part of today's show. Often, I've been doing the shows for years now, and every time I go to Hawaii to do the work at the Ironman World Championships, every time I do that, I come back and I say, it's really lucky that I get to do the post race interviews and these are the interviews that I do with the athletes once they come across the finish line and the reason it's cool is because it's to me it's kind of the rawest human emotional experience you'll see you see these athletes who work extremely hard for this one day in their life hoping to perform on this day and it means so much if they do or don't perform and then you get them when they come across the finish line and you experience just real raw emotion because they're tired. Uh, and that emotion can be a variety of emotions. It can be adulation, it can be joy, it can be disappointment. Uh, one of the interviews I really loved this year was Daniela Reef. She is the world champion Ironman female and um, she beat the world record by 20 minutes. And I got to interview her pretty much as soon as she came across the line and she was just, she was just pumped. But I wanted to actually share an interview, and it's only a short interview, but it's it's probably five minutes long, um, there, with a guy called Matt Russell. Now, Matt Russell is a pro triathlete um, who was racing at Ironman World Championships this time last year. So in 2017, he was competing in the race at the World Championship as a pro. And during the race, he got hit by a car. And severely, I think he, I don't know the entire details of what happened, but basically he got hit by a car and glass cut across his throat. So imagine, almost imagine like a human monster with the big scar across his neck. Well, Matt has a scar. I don't know exactly how big it is, but I'm thinking it's probably about 15 centimetres wide, maybe 10 centimetres wide. Uh, this, this massive thick scar that's gone across his neck. And uh, we actually interviewed him a few days before the race. So John and I, the guy I do the other podcast I own talk with, we interviewed him a few days before the race and he talked, talked to us about what happened in the race. And after the interview, he was he showed us the photos of um, his neck at the, at the scene of the crash. And it like it's basically, he was like, millimeters away from the big artery that would have been the death of him in this moment and uh it, it was amazing that he even lived uh and then his journey back was pretty phenomenal and in Ironman one thing they do in the sport is you have to qualify for the world championships and they take 50 male athletes at the world championships and Matt got 51st this year so he didn't actually qualify to come back to the world championship and Ironman, the organisation, the people who run Ironman, decided that they wanted to have him back 
you know, because of what happened last year, it was kind of a, a good story, you know, because in a year, basically, he was a guy who just about died, was, you know, survival was the main thing for the next period of time, but then actually got back and started competing as an athlete again, and he, and he didn't qualify, but they let him in because they thought, well, you know, if anyone deserves to be there this year, it's him. Well, on race day, Matt had the race of his dreams. Like, when we look at Ironman athletes, there tends to be about three or four guys who can win the world championship, and then there's lots of guys who can get maybe top 10, and getting a top 10 as a pro Ironman athlete is a massive achievement. And if, if you were to ask me before the race, how do I think Matt could have gone on a normal year? So, you know, let's say the accident hadn't happened. I would have said, you know, a top 10 would be... You know, if he could get like 10th, that would be a really amazing race from him. But because of the accident and his journey back, you know, everyone was really happy to have him at the race. But nobody really expected him to be a contender, to be someone pushing for a place in the top 10 at the Ironman World Championships. Well, Matt turned up and he had a blinder of the race. He had a great swim, he had a good bike, and he got off the bike at maybe about 15th spot. And he ended up running down to sixth place overall. He was only five seconds behind the guy who got fifth. So he ran down all the way back into the top ten and had an absolute blinder of a race. And I was very fortunate. I was the first person to interview him as he came across the finish line. And and I want to share the interview with you because there's just there's just a rawness to it. We talk a little bit about the race, we talk about his run performance, but just, just listen to um the rawness of the emotion of what this man has gone through in uh, this moment. And that's what it's about. It's kind of like a photo, isn't it? A photo can capture a moment. Well, this moment in this man's life is pretty special. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chuck that on right now. We've got Matt Russell here. He's just come across the line. Um, what an effort, mate. Tell us about your day. Um, it was a unbelievable day. Um, it was a very emotional for me. Um, I didn't really have any lows which is very rare um but i mean just finishing this race means so much to me um after last year last year i was um unconscious and um i remember a couple of days after i could barely walk down the hall with an iv in me um and just to finish in the top 10 um makes it even more emotional. Um, I just wanted to finish, and uh, it just means um, I felt so much love out there, and uh, I'm just so thankful, grateful, and, and blessed, and um, yeah. You, you were mowing them down on the run. It was like you and Joe Skipper had a good little battle there. It, was a, it must have been pretty motivating, just clicking one after the other after the other, and going past guys like Javier Gomez must have been giving you a good lift. Yeah, I, I tried to I tried to stay consistent as possible. Um, I knew the back half, and I was just focusing on uh, nutrition and hydration, um, and uh, just taking um, one mile at a time. Um, when did you know you were going to have a great run? You know, because you, you had a stellar run. Like, did you kind of just know from the start, or was it kind of talk through your run? Um, it, it, the miles were clicking, and I was looking at my watch, and there were. Um, you know, a good mile was 620, a slower mile was 630 or 40 if it was slightly uphill. And I knew if I could just stay consistent with that, um, I'd have a have a good run. Um, that being said, 
you just never know because you can be in the last mile and cramp up or something and um, and uh, it could be someone in front of me, which would be great in a way, but it could be me too. So it, it's never over until you cross that finish line. Um, was it just awesome to be t ticking people off? Yeah, it was. Um, um, it, it, it's definitely motivating. Um, I don't know. I, I came off the bike with a big group. I think I rode about a 412, yeah, you did, um, you did. which uh, I was really happy with. Um, I felt pretty strong on the bike. And uh, I knew I was saving a little bit for the run. Um, and I figured, I'm like, you know, I'm not going to go out hard. If I go out hard, I'll pay for it later. And I was just being patient and um, tried to push it in the back half. Just phenomenal, really, isn't it? Um, it's, it's a dream come true. Um, and, uh, I mean, this is amazing right now. But last night, um, I put my son to bed. He's 15 months old. Um, and uh, he fell asleep in my arms, and that's um, that's kind of hard to beat too. Um, so I mean, the last 24 hours have been. Um, I mean, I'm I'm on cloud nine, and um, I'll be riding this way for a while. You know, and you're, um, probably the most important race. You know, this time last year, when you woke up, I'm sure you didn't imagine you'd be here like this, performing like this. It's um, it should be really pretty stuff, mate. Yeah, um, I mean, when I woke up. Um, 365 days ago, um, I, I uh, kept on asking the same questions over and over and over for an hour and I don't remember any of it. Um, and it was really hard for my family and um, my dad and my wife and my son were out there all supporting me and, um, and I just felt the love and support from, from everyone. So many people um, were cheering me on. and. Um, and really just never stopped believing and um and it came together today pretty mate love your work you're thank an inspiration you. thank you pretty amazing isn't it there's something about adversity that can bring out something really really special and matt is a man who is the most extreme example of that. He does one of the craziest sports in the world at the highest level. He goes through this just unbelievable life experience where, he, in theory, the fact that he's still alive is pretty phenomenal. And then comes along and has a day like that. And, you know, like the thing for me in life, the thing I admire is kind of character and overcoming adversity and, you know, and... and to me, what Matt did on that day, you know, in the last 12 months, is just something that we can all take something from, you know, that, that we can achieve big things even when we go through hardship. Uh, I just wanted to share that with you because I just it really connected with me. If, if we're actually releasing the interview, we did an interview with Matt um, before the before the race which we haven't released on IM Talk but we're going to release that next week or so um, if you want to listen to it it's a bit more detail about what happened in the crash and it really tells the whole story of it but if you do want to listen to that look out for my other podcast called IM Talk and you can check that out there this is another thing I just want to kind of talk about before we get into the main gist of today's show um, just, just some you know like techniques one technique as a running coach I coach my runners a lot. I love coaching my runners, and we have different levels of ability. But this morning, I had a really good experience with one of our runners called Matthew. Matthew is this young guy who who joined us probably about three or four years ago, and uh, 
started out and he's just a young, you know, he's, he was probably even 19 when he joined us. And, and, and to be honest, in our running business, we don't tend to get many people of that age. It tends to, we're trying to market to older people. So it's kind of not really our demographic, but he came along and he's, he's a great part of the group. And Matt's made massive progress. He's just, you know, seen massive progress in the last three or four years with us. But one thing that Matt has struggled with is sometimes when the going gets extremely hard, he would just sometimes kind of totally withdraw from the level that he was with. And so, for example, let's say, I don't know, he was meant to be doing a, a 10K effort for a period of time and he's meant to be sitting on, let's just say, I'm just picking a number out of somewhere, four and a half minute Ks. Um, Matt would maybe sometimes sometimes do it for like 30 minutes. I can't remember, 40 minutes, we'll say it was. Uh, he might be doing for 30 minutes. It just got a little bit hard. And then he'd basically go to like a six minute K pace. So he'd kind of just totally give up. And he's a good runner, and at times he'd pull through, but there was this kind of enough of this that there was an area that we needed to work from within with Matt. And this morning we just had a real breakthrough session with him, you know, because uh, he, he talked to me a few weeks ago. He had a great 10K run a few weeks ago. He, like, PB'd massively. And he just said to me, you know, how do I how do I take this ability to go really fast in those moments where I find it really tough? So this morning they did, my runners did a, my half marathon group, did a running session where they did 20 minutes of an easy warm-up, then they did 15 minutes at race pace, which is half marathon race pace, and then they did 10 minutes at their 10k pace. Now in designing that session, what I'm trying to do is get them used to running the pace I want to run at, at achieving their goal, which for a half marathon, 15 minutes, is not an easy run. It's it's kind of slightly uncomfortable, but you should know you should be able to do it for the whole 15 minutes. So there will be a bit of struggle in there, but you're not, you know, it should be achievable if you've trained well. And then 10 minutes at the end at 10k pace, which should be really hard. And in designing it, what I'm trying to do is to get people to kind of learn how to push harder at the end of the race because in a, in a half marathon or any endurance event ideally you can serve yourself to a point and then you push yourself really hard at the last bit or well, in today's session recently met did a faster 5k time trial so he pb'd in a 5k time trial which meant his paces had to improve in these half marathon blocks and today he started off and in the first half i was chatting to him he felt really good and then at about halfway through the 50 minute block probably maybe about two-thirds into it I went up to him and you could see he wasn't quite on his pace and I was quite lucky to catch him at this moment because this is those moments where traditionally he would have gone from four and a half to maybe a six and a half minute k where he just would have totally dropped off and so I came up to him and I just went to him I said okay well this is a good opportunity for you to practice the step back strategy and I may have talked about the strategy in the show in the past but the whole idea of the step back strategy is to go I can't, I can't hold what I'm currently holding. So he was meant to be doing 4.30s. But instead of going back to 6.30, which is like five steps back from where I currently are, what's the next step back that maybe I can sit in? So I said to him, okay, so let's let's practice this. I don't, I, you know, the one thing I don't want you to do is go back to six and a minute half, six and a half minute Ks. I just want you to sit, is, what's the next step back from four and a half that you feel you could sit on for the rest of this 50 minute block? And he goes, well, maybe I could sit on 440s. Okay, well, cool, let's do that. And then Matt says to me, but the problem is, Bev, when I get to the 10K work, should I aim for the 10K pace that I was normally meant to do, which is 4 minute 15 pace, or should I go a step back with that as well? And I said to him, look, let's start 
at the original goal, the original 4.15s for the 10k pace. And then if you can't do it, then practice the step back strategy again. So that was kind of our plan. And I took off and I started coaching other people. And at the end of the session, so then Matt started the 10k work. And I could tell pretty quickly he's really trying to push that 4.15k pace. And then so I went out and I kind of motivated him. And then I got to got to the end of the session and Matthew had nailed the 10-minute pace work. He he smashed the 10K pace work. And it was a real breakthrough session for him because he was a guy who has been really sick. Now, don't get me wrong, Matthew has grown so much. But there was one thing in his training he really needed to develop was that moment where it gets extremely hard to not let the gas off too much. And in today's session, he absolutely nailed it. And the reason he nailed it was because we, we, he put in place a good strategy when he couldn't hold the guest down at a certain time in the race. And for a lot of people, when it comes to effort, and this is not just as an athlete, but when it comes to effort, often we just let the foot off the pedal way too much when things get hard. And... In the last period of time, Matt has had some sessions where that happens. Now, he doesn't do it all the time. I don't want to, you know, Matt is doing really great. But that was the thing that he wanted to work on in this race team. And that step back method, and the method really is, if I can't maintain where I am right now, what's a small step back from that that I could still maybe maintain? Maintain. So, again, Matt was at 4 minute 30s. He couldn't maintain 4.30s anymore. But instead of giving up and going to 6.30s, he went to 4.40s. Once you do that, it keeps you in the game. And this is what's really interesting about Matthew's run this morning, is that then when he got to the hard part of the session, where he had to go extremely hard for 10 minutes, he actually was able to maintain the original level and pushed on through. So because he stayed in the game to the point where he was still close to what he was hoping to achieve, he actually had a stronger run at the end. Now, to me, the step-back strategy is a great strategy used in many areas of your life. Now, obviously, in, in sporting or athletic or fitness endeavors, it's a really obvious strategy. But what about like in study or when you're doing something really focused at work? The step-back method is a really good idea. Like one thing I've been doing, on, I've been learning a piece on the piano recently, and um when I started learning the piano, I didn't necessarily always count as I learnt, and it's, you really need to do that as a musician, and so something I'm trying to do more nowadays, but I still have periods where I don't count, and so yesterday I did a session where I was just really trying to focus on counting through a whole block, or a whole song that I've been practicing, and I was finding that I could get kind of like half of it done, but the goal was to get the whole thing done, so I actually used a, half, a step back strategy, I said, well, okay, currently I'm doing half, I want to get a hole, but it ain't happening, so maybe I can aim for two-thirds, and then I worked on the bit where I wasn't counting, and it came through, so, because, so that's, that's what we want to think about with this strategy, is we want to think about, in areas of times of effort, and effort can be physical, it can be mental, it can be creative, it can be um, communication, any time of effort. Often we can maintain an effort for a certain period of time, but then the effort just becomes a bit hard. What we don't want to do at that time is just totally withdraw ourselves. What we want to do is think of what's the next step back from that that can keep me as close to this as possible. Because sometimes when you do that, you actually end up back to where you originally started or even further ahead like Matthew did this morning. So if you know you're someone who struggles with effort, and when the effort gets too hard, you kind of just totally give up, maybe a good strategy you can think about using is the step-back method. 
And actually, next time you know you're going into one of those times where maybe you give up, go into it. He's going, here's my opportunity to practice this method. You know, with Matthew, he practices today. He smashed it. Now, that's a really good lesson that he can use next time he does a run and he can keep practicing that where he's achieving a higher level. So just a really good thing to think about there. Um, I just want to say a big thank you to all the patrons of my show. And these include people like Royal Street Fighter Branco. We've got Josh Complete Grit Alice. We've got Sabrina, the number one pick. <laughs> We've got Ruth On Fire Newstub. We've got George Monopoly Man Street. We've got Dean the Cool Cube Cubie. And we've got Rachel Walking on Sunshine the Busk. These are people who are all patrons of the show and they support me in what I do. And what that means is that each time I release a show, they just donate a little bit of their hard-earned money to support me in what I am doing. If you enjoy the show and you want to be one of those people, go to bevanjamesisles.com and uh, it's all very obvious on the website. Uh, just one thing, when you do become a patron, you do get your own super cool Bevan James Isles show nickname. And uh, yeah, I actually, Jim Palapau, who was last episode's guest i gave her the mind feeder and she said she loved it so there you go so oh, i do try hard to give you a cool nicknames so there you go so if you want to make a patron go to bevanjamesisles.com anyway i'm going to get into the main gist of today's show right about now Months ago, I got asked to do a, a designer presentation for Les Mills, who I work for, for the instructors at Les Mills. And um, one of the things that uh, we find with newer instructors, or many instructors, uh, not all instructors, but many instructors, is we don't necessarily see the real version of them when they're up on stage. Now, I think it's important to acknowledge that people who are on stage are often a bit of a persona or an exaggerated persona of themselves. But when you look at the best instructors, and and I don't know if you've ever done group fitness classes, but if you look at the people who are real stars, they're often a real, just really just them. Now, they are probably exaggerated. Like I think of myself as an instructor. Um... I'm obviously a bit of an exaggerated version of me, like I'm obviously high energy, um, you know, I like to think I'm fun, and maybe a little bit funny, <laughs> uh, but you know, like I, ultimately when I'm on stage, it's just a bigger expression of me, and one of the things we've found within Les Mills is that we give these instructors like a training system, so there's this, there's this thing in Les Mills called the five key aspects or five key elements of an amazing instructor, and it's the five things that Les Mills think a great instructor has. And with the way they do their training systems, it's all based around these five keys that, uh, you know, if, if you want to have these five keys, that's what you take to be an amazing instructor. So they've created this whole training system around this. And it's done an amazing job because Les Mills is pretty much the world leading fitness professional or fitness group fitness business. And the one thing they do really well is they've got such great training systems, they can take anyone well, not anyone, but most people and make them an, a, a good instructor. They can take most people and make them a good instructor. But uh, greatness is another thing. And, you know, one of my criticisms of Les Mills has been, you know, sometimes we're just the big Mac maker, we're not the mastery person. Um, and so there was kind of a discussion that we were having within kind of the leadership at Les Mills, or at least some of the leaders in Les Mills. And we were thinking about, how can we help people take it further from just the five key elements and being good with the skills of the job and actually bring more of 
them out on stage. Because when we think about the people who are the greatest instructors, that's ultimately what they do. They have they have the, this training skills, the five keys, but they also just are really authentically them. And that's what seems to be really attractive. Um, so I sat down and I thought about this talk. And, and I'm going to be honest, a lot of what I'm going to talk about today is kind of maybe crossover from other podcasts I've done in the past. But um, I'm going to talk you through the the kind of presentation I did to these people. And there is some crossover, but stick with it because where it gets to, it's been something that's been really interesting in my perspective of life. So um, first of all, where did it start? So it basically starts with this lady called Kylie Gates' story. And again, I'm pretty sure I've talked about this in the past, but um, the whole idea of the, the presentation it starts with like, who are you? And I, I tell a story of a lady by the name of Kylie Gates, and Kylie Gates is one of the top people within Les Mills. And I, I remember years ago I was teaching with Kylie, and she was afterwards she was telling me about how one day she was teaching in a class, and she went to the toilet, and she's in the toilet in this you know in the changing room after the class, and everybody who was in her class started talking about her as an instructor. Now, can you imagine what that would be like? Like, imagine in your career. That you know you, you I don't know you're in a room maybe in the toilet and everyone you work with is in the maybe the bathroom or the changing room they don't realise you're in the toilet and they start talking about you as a person. That's a really interesting th- moment to be in, isn't it? Because it kind of reveals a little bit about how we want to be seen, doesn't it? Like what would be the most amazing things you'd want to hear in that in that situation? And what would be some of the worst things that you'd want to hear in those situations, or that situation? So what I did in the presentation, I kind of, I got them to do that as a group fitness professional. So what would, the, what would you want to hear from those in your class? And then what would you not want to hear from those in your class? And then what I did is I kind of got everyone to lie down and set them up for a visualization technique. And I, the first thing is I did is I just kind of said, okay, well, I want you to imagine a safe, happy place in your life. I want you to imagine, actually, you know what, if you, if you can do this, find a spot, pause, find a spot where you can lie down, and I'm going to talk you through what I talk them through uh, at this time, okay, so so if you're listening to this right now and you have the ability, I know lots of people might be out running or cycling or at work, so you might not have the ability, but if you have the ability to kind of remove yourself and take a moment, I, I, I highly recommend you do this, so first of all, just take a moment before you push play, so push pause and take a moment to just kind of relax so maybe find somewhere you can lie down close your eyes take a few deep breaths and just relax for a good minute or so and then come back and push play again on this podcast now what i want you to do is i want you to choose a place that means something special to you in your life it might be a childhood home it might be a place in nature that you really connect with it might be a place where you spent with fans, friends or family. Just a space that feels safe, comforting, feels really good to you. Now, once you've identified that space, I want you to identify people in your life that you care about how they feel about you. So it might, think of the family members in your life who... You know, you really care about how they feel about you and what, and what they kind of think about you. I want you to think of your friends. 
you know, who are those people in your life who you consider friends who actually, they're important to you about how they feel about you. Uh, I want you to think about your colleagues, people who you have hobbies with. Now what I want you to do is, as you identify those people, I want you to put those people in your space. That place you chose, that really made you feel comforted, safe, just free at another time in your life. And I want you to imagine you can see those people that you've already identified, kind of in groups of maybe two or three, all standing around in your place, talking to each other. Now, the thing about this situation is they don't realize you are there. It's almost like you're a ghost. Imagine a movie situation where you are a ghost and you can kind of flutter between the different conversations and you can kind of hear what they are talking about, but they don't know you are there. From there, what you want to do is you want to start to flutter between those conversations, but you realize that those people who are important to you in your important place are talking about you. They're talking about you. As you hear them talking about you, I want you to imagine the most amazing things they could say about you. And when you do this, I want you to think of like big words like values. So values that you would love to hear those people in your life talk about you. I'm going to give you, I think because this is a podcast, maybe pause for a few seconds and then when you feel you've got probably somewhere between five to ten words that you really feel you'd love to hear from those in your life talk about you then come back and we'll bring it back in so what we have here if we if you've done that work and if you haven't go back and maybe do it another time but what we have here is a list of what I'm going to call values or character strengths Values or character strengths. And what are values and character strengths? Well, values and character strengths are the the guiding light of your life, really, I suppose, aren't they? Like, if you think of the words that, that especially those who did the visualization technique, if you think of your words, ideally, when you're being the real you, you're being those words. Like, I think of my values, my character strengths, my minor things like love, honesty, happiness, fun, freedom, health. Um, creativity, growth, you know, for me, those words represent the real me, you know, and I think that if you've done that exercise, you probably could look at that piece of paper or, or whatever those words are for you, and you could identify that, that those words really represent the real you, and what I mean by that, well, what I mean is that if you're being the best of those words, like if I'm being the best of love and the best of honesty and the best of growth and fun and freedom, I just feel aligned as a person. I just feel I'm living my life well. And, and and contrasting that, when I'm not doing those things, like I remember there's a period in my life where there was something that, there was a situation where it created a little bit of dishonesty in my life, where I had to be, you know, like I wasn't robbing banks or anything crazy like that, but I was just done let dishonesty creep into my life. And um, it was a situation where the reward was really high, and I kind of went down that path a little bit. And I remember I woke up and I realized I'm losing me. So when you think about your character strengths, that when you're at the best of them, you feel like you're being the real you. And when you're moving away from them, you feel like you're losing yourself. And actually, I want to share a really amazing example of somebody who 
lost themselves because they chased the wrong thing. Uh, if you follow cricket, in the last year, one of the biggest incidents we had in cricket was the Australian cricket team got caught cheating uh, at a test match against South Africa, where basically in cricket, if you don't know anything about cricket, the ball can be influenced to, to help the bowler. And what the cricket players will do is they'll make one side of the ball really smooth and one side really rough, so it kind of moves in the air. And the Australian cricket team got caught putting sandpaper on the cricket ball and rubbing sandpaper on the cricket ball to their advantage. And at the conclusion of it, Steve Smith, the Australian cricket captain, basically put up his hand and said he was one of the main culprits for this happening. And there's a press conference with Steve, which is quite fascinating. And I know it's a podcast, so it's a visual one, but I'm going to actually put it on here. Now, you're going to hear a lot of clicking because it's cameras, but I just want you to have a listen to this because it's actually quite fascinating in the loss of the real person. Here it is right now. Good evening. Thanks for coming. Appreciate it. To all of my teammates... To fans of cricket all over the world and to all Australians who are disappointed and angry, I'm sorry. What happened in Cape Town has already been laid out by Cricket Australia. Tonight I want to make clear that as captain of the Australian cricket team, I take full responsibility. I made a serious error of judgment and I now understand the consequences. It was a failure of leadership, of my leadership. I'll do everything I can to make up for my mistake and the damage it's caused. If any good can come to this, If it can be a lesson to others, then I hope I can be a force for change. I know I'll regret this for the rest of my life. I'm absolutely gutted. I hope in time I can earn back respect and forgiveness. I've been so privileged and honoured to represent my country and captain the Australian cricket team. Cricket is the greatest game in the world. It's been my life and I hope it can be again. I'm sorry and I'm absolutely devastated. It takes some questions. Steve, do you think you can give us a picture of what was going through your mind when agreed to go through with this. Why'd you do it? Look, for me, I think my week has, has been around, you know, good people make mistakes and I've made a big mistake by allowing this to happen. Um, it was a huge error of judgment on my behalf and I'm deeply sorry. Um, I've got three sons of my own who are safe in cricket and they absolutely cherish you. What do you have to say to the kids? I'll say two things. Um, well, three things. Firstly, that I'm, I'm deeply sorry. Um, I love the game of cricket. I, I love 
entertaining young kids. I love kids wanting to play the great game of cricket um, that I love. Um, the two other things is any time you think about making a, a questionable decision, think about who you're affecting. You're affecting your parents and to see the way my old man's been. <laughs> Thanks everybody. Thank you. It's it hurts. It's, uh, I can't remember what else. But it's yeah. Uh, I just want to say I'm sorry. I know the sound quality wasn't great there, but you can see that. Um, he was pretty of a broken man, and he and he paid a big price for a cost that was pretty massive to him. But when we think about that, what Steve Smith went through, like if 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 we got Steve Smith to go through the exercise I got you guys to do before to identify the key words that you'd want your world to say about you, do you think in the moment where he cheated, do you think if you'd said to him, mate, is this really keeping aligned with this, he would have made that choice? Uh, like I, I'm pretty sure if you'd ask Steve as an athlete, does he see himself as um, fair and honest and to have integrity? I'm, I'm sure he'd say these words are really important to me. But unfortunately for Steve in that moment, he moved away from what was really important to him and and paid a massive price for this. And that's when this whole idea of the real you becomes a really interesting thing, isn't it? Because in life you have experiences every day of your life to either go more towards the real you or, like Steve Smith did in that situation, away from the real you. And to me, that's the test of life, really, isn't it? Is that actually every day your your values and your character traits are getting tested. And the person who sits comfortably in who they are has built this kind of repertoire or this history of staying in the real them and, and if anything going deeper into the real them and, and that's probably one of my first key points today is that once we understand who we are and doing exercises like the one I did before or other exercises that just help you clarify who the real you is then it's kind of your job to defend the crap out of that like you you need to defend the crap out of that it's your job to absolutely fight for that and if we go back to the Steve Smith example, obviously he didn't. And look at the cost. Like he lost his job, he lost respect. He was, he was arguably one of the greatest batsmen of all time. This will always be one of those things that goes against him in the history of his sport. The shame to his family. Like imagine having a kid who was like the, the captain of your country's most important sport. How proud you'd be as a father and then finding out that he was a cheat. How the shame you've brought on your family. Like, these are pretty massive. Now, I know this is a big example, but that's what I love to think about is this whole idea of your life experiences are an opportunity for you to deepen your understanding of the real you. And when you see the spikes in the road or the forks in the road where you can go down either path, ultimately, you want to be going more and more down the path that is right for you, that deepens that understanding of the real you. So that was kind of the first point of my talk that I had with group fitness instructors. It was really just about helping them identify who they are and, and are you actually doing a good job of staying on the right path for you. But then I kind of went, and, and this is going to, it gets a little bit weird now because I'm kind of going to talk about group fitness, but it does come back to you. So 
then I t- then I talked about the greatest instructors in the world. And in Les Mills, we have these people who are superstars. Um, you, you, most of you guys won't know them, but people like Lisa Osborne, Gandalf Archer, Dan Cohen, uh, Jackie Mills. These are the people who Les Mills, the uh, the Michael Jordans of our world. And in our world, and it's a big world, we have something like about 50,000, 60,000 instructors around the world. Over a million people do the classes each week. So it's a pretty big world of people. Um, and... These people are the people we hold to the highest level. And the thing I talked about in the talk was, if we go back to those five key elements, which are the skills that people learn, uh, these people are all masters of that. But when you watch their classes, when they teach, none of them teach alike. So they're all doing the skills amazingly well, but the way they teach the class is completely different. And the insight that I shared in my presentation was that Actually, if you get to know these people one-on-one, like for example, there's a lady called Lisa Osborne who is, is an inspirational, amazing woman. And I'm a really good friend of Lisa. She's a good mate of mine. We've worked together for years. We, we, you know, we hang out all the time. Or at least when I'm in Auckland, we hang out all the time. And when you hang out with Lisa as a person, you know the real her. If we go back, if I got Lisa to lie down and write down the words, hers would be challenge, fun, inclusiveness, and growth. Like Lisa made the top 20 in the world as an age group crossfitter actually before the age of games she got i think second in the world she is so much fun to be around if you follow her on instagram she's always fun she's trying to promote inclusive exercise so everyone gets out there and exercise it's just who she is as a person that's the real lisa and then when she gets on stage when she teaches she just is a bigger expression of that and then there's a lady called Jackie Mills, who's one of the owners of the business. Uh, Liz Mills, Jackie Mills, is, is one of the family members. And when Jackie, if you ever get a chance to sit down and have a conversation with Jackie, you're never going to meet someone who's so calm and so engaged. You know, she's so engaging. She's so interested in people. And if, and again, if I were to get Jackie to write down her words, it would be things like calmness, balance, strength, you know, kind of calm strength. And again, when you watch Jackie teach a class, that's what you see. And so my point to my the instructors that I spoke to around the country was that ultimately the greatest instructors are just really creating the best version of them when they are teaching. Sure, they're doing the skills that we teach to you, but ultimately what they're doing is they're just being the real version of them. And and I can kind of, you know, there's lots of, I took this down a path, but I was kind of saying, you know you're doing a good job when you, you know you're doing a good job when your class is ultimately just a reflection of what you love about your, you know, about being the real you. That was kind of the point. And I got a lot of buy-in. Lots of people, I got lots of great feedback on this talk and you could tell people were really identifying with it. And I gave them some tools to move forward with this. And and kind of in designing this talk, and I presented about five or six, or maybe four or five times around the country, as, as, as I presented it a few times, it made me realise something. And this is something I want you to take, because I know 99.9% of the people listening to this aren't group fitness instructors. But the thing I, I learned about this myself is when I talked about this, it was about me being an instructor on stage. So when I'm on stage, ultimately things like love, honesty, growth, fun comes out. That's the real me. And, you know, ultimately I'm trying to enhance that because actually that just creates a more authentic experience for the people in my classes. But then when I started to think about it, and, and this talk was on my mind because I, I presented it for like a month, I started to realize that actually... 
when I'm living my life well and being the real me, my world reflects those values back at me. My world reflects those values back at me. Like, for example, my world seems pretty honest to me. Now, I might not be entirely right, but it seems that my world, you know, honesty is a really important value to me. And honest, my, when, when others present themselves to me, they seem to be really honest to me. Like, I, I feel very fortunate that I get a lot of love in my world. Like, people show that they appreciate my work, that I have people who seem to care for me. Uh, people, you know, I, I, I feel loved. And, and I'm, I'm very, very privileged that I feel loved because a lot of people don't. Um, my world is very fun. You know, like people, like this morning in the stretch and the runners, you know, someone pulled out something and we're just all laughing, like we're just all having fun together. My world shows me people want to grow. Like think about Matthew that I talked about earlier this morning. He's grown so much and even then he's still saying, Bev, there's this thing I want to overcome and today he broke through and he grew. You know, ultimately the thing I've discovered is that by understanding the real me, and, be a, and by being a defender of the real me, that's a really important thing. By being a defender of the real me, actually, my experience of life is just a reflection of the real me. Like, my life, when I'm living it well, shows me love, honesty, happiness, fun, freedom, growth, focus, ambition, creativity. These are kind of my, my core strengths and values. And so, while there's value in understanding the real you, there's a job in defending the real you. And that's why each day when you get those moments where you can either go towards more honesty or not, or more fun or not, your job is to, to go towards those things that are the real you. And this is one of those conversations that I'm having today, which is, you know, there's, I don't, there's no science proof to be this, but my experience is that when I live to being the real me, my world just shows it back at me. And how reinforcing is that? How cool is that? That ultimately my experience of life, not just from my inner experience, but it seems to be from my external experience as well, is just the things that I love in my life. Now, I could be wrong. Maybe I'm just seeing something here. I'd love to know for those who feel they live in their real life, I'd love to know how you feel about this. Because if you're being the real you and your world reflects that back at you, it's a pretty great life. Oh, that's a pretty great life. And if we think about those character strengths and those values, it's worth fighting for those if it ends up in a place where your life reinforces and just becomes the thing that you love. So I'm not sure what you take from today's talk. Hopefully there's something there because it's something I've been thinking long and hard about. And, and again, it just makes me want to defend my values and passions and, and character strengths even more. So yeah, give it a try. Fight, figure out who you are. Fight for who you are and then see your world blossom into a way where it just reflects those great things about you back at you. And if you do, I reckon you'll be a better version of yourself. Radio Tim, that's the main gist of today's show done and I said it was a bit out there, I have to admit, because it's maybe the tool that I gave you, the step back tools, a more practical application, but I don't know, it just, 
you know, when I'm living my life well, it seems that my world is reflecting that back at me. Hopefully you got something from that. If you enjoy this show, you can email me at bevanjames at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to run 5Ks and you want to kind of help me, guide you, get me to guide you through the process, you can go to my5kdream.com. That's my complete 5K running package, which is more than just a program. It's basically life lessons, life coaching along the way towards running 5Ks, plus all the strength and videos and everything you need to run 5Ks. Um, if you want to spread the word about the show, get out there and spread the word about the show on either Facebook, Twitter, whatever you see. Uh, and if you want to become a patron, go to bevanjamesisles.com to become a patron of the show. Uh, that's pretty much me for the next couple of weeks. I'm here, actually about tomorrow. I'm heading to Amsterdam to do a, a presentation at a fitness conference and then i'm going to la for a few days and uh, actually it's funny because the world series of baseball is on right now and the la dodgers have made the world series final and i thought to myself it only happened yesterday i thought oh i'll see if i can get a ticket to one of the games when i'm in la and the tickets the cheap seats are 700 dollars us so i'm not going to the world series of baseball final but that's okay um i'm really looking forward to it. i love going to la i love stand-up comedy i'm going to go see lots of stand-up comedy and get immersed in culture in la and then i'll be back in a couple of weeks time with the next episode of the bevan james i show anyway you guys have a wonderful couple of weeks keep working on yourself and i'll see you guys soon <laughs>